Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand as a young girl made an impact on you? Without a doubt, Patagonia. Um, I remember, you know, growing up in Canada, I'm really outdoorsy. I love hiking and canoeing and swimming in lakes and all that kind of true Canadiana stuff. And um, I remember I saved up. And the first time I bought my first Patagonia puffy vest, it was... um, it was kind of like a bright pinky red vest. And I felt like I had, I had arrived. I felt like it reflected who and what I was. And that brand is one that I still adore. And I love the actions they take. And I love that they are so consistent with who they are and what they believe in. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel. And I help major brands find their purpose and activate it. And the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is a Canadian, Michelle Saint-Jacques, chief marketing officer of Molson Coors Beverage Company. Molson Coors is a global company with about 10 billion in revenue, with famous brands you all know, Coors, Molson, Blue Moon, Leinenkugel, Keystone, Miller, Peroni, Fosters, and many, many more. I first met Michelle in 2016, four years ago, when she was a participant in my Can Lion CMO Accelerator class, which I host every summer at the famous festival. At that time, she was a marketing VP at the Kraft Heinz Company. Since then, I've seen her career flourish at Kraft Heinz, and about a year and a half ago, she took on the role of CMO with Miller Coors which evolved into Molson Coors at the beginning of 2020. This is my conversation with Michelle Sanchoff. Michelle, welcome to the CMO Podcast. If I'm correct, I think I met you a few years back at the Cannes Lions Festival when you participated in the two-day CMO Accelerator program, which I run with my colleague, Suzanne Tosolini. And it appears to have accelerated your career. Yes or no? I mean, listen, that is clearly the secret to the success so far. But yes, I mean, when I met you a couple of years ago, I did have the uh, wonderful experience of attending that course for a couple of days in Cannes. It was my first time to Cannes that year. And I remember walking out inspired and certainly ready to rock. And um, since then, I was at Kraft Heinz for a couple more years. And about a year and a half ago, I made the move over to what was Miller Coors now, Molson Coors is a CMO. So, you know, job well done, Jim. Yeah, I think it worked. So I, I, honestly, about that experience, you know, that was a uh, interesting training program we were involved with. Uh, is there anything about that that happened to you at Cannes that year? It was your first year at Cannes that still sticks with you? Yeah, I think when you go to Cannes, I, and I've gone every year subsequently, um, I think I always walk in with a moment of extreme pride for any progress that we've made as an organization from a creativity perspective, but also with like kind of a dissatisfaction that you can do more. You know, you look at all these amazing examples of different brands doing work. And, and I think that's a little bit of that um, jealousy is a good thing. It makes sort of want to mm-hmm. keep striving and pushing for more. So Cannes is both my favorite week of the year, and it's also a week that I come out of it and I I look down and it's like a time to put pen to paper and say, what are the next big dreams? What are the next big boulders that I want to push forward or I want to do from a career or a brand perspective? So certainly that first year was really one of, I walked out and was like, man, we got to do better. I need to do better. And it was definitely a, a great opportunity to kind of reset and think about what is what is the kind of marketing I want to do um, in the world? Mm-hmm. We're going to get into your role at Molson Coors in a little bit, but I want to talk to you a little bit about you know learning and leadership to start this off. We've had a really weird past six or seven months, right? And and I want you to talk a little bit about you know this economic crisis, health crisis, social crisis. You know what have you learned over the last six seven months 
about yourself, about your teams, about leadership, and how is Michelle a bit different now than you were six or seven months ago as a leader? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the past six or seven months have been one um, that I don't think you can prepare yourself for. You know, there's no playbook. These things in isolation feel big and huge and, and can be overwhelming. And then you combine these all together. And, you know, 2020 has been a big year for everybody. And I think for me as a leader, the biggest thing has been around like, be human first, be business second. You know, and I think that that's true when it comes to the people and on your team, you know, certainly working from home in this environment, um, people trying to manage work, life, kids, isolation in some cases, health concerns, health concerns for others. I mean, it means that the start of every conversation has to start with a, how are you doing? You, know, you mm -hmm. versus like getting right into, okay the checklist and the deliverables that need to happen. And I think that that sense of being human first and really trying to make sure you're looking out for each other has been something that certainly I've always had a ton of, you know, empathy for the people I work for and my team, but the level that it's ratcheted up to of care and concern is far different to anything I've ever experienced. And it's certainly not just, you know, from a leader perspective, but I'm so proud of the way that the team has cared for each other, right? How everybody's checking in, how everybody, you know, you get on these Microsoft team calls and the amount of positivity in the comments section of people cheering each other on, I think it's really brought the teams really a lot closer. So I think that sense of being human and recognizing that, you know, you might not know exactly what the person on the other side of the screen is going through, um, but your job is to help and to understand and empathize and try to make that day go a little bit better, I think has been critical. And then certainly there's all the business and the brands and all those kind of the, the stuff that is, you know, um, uh, the foundations of how our brands exist in the world. But I think that sense of being human first has been a big differentiator from the past six to seven months. What have you found most challenging? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for, for me, it's been mostly around, you know, when I started back at Molson Coors a year and a half ago, we started this mantra, and we can talk about my day one later. It's a great story. But, um, you know, we started this mindset around fast, messy, awesome, and this idea of like moving with speed, being bold, understanding what our brands stand for, and really kind of going for it. And the one thing that um, uh, has been great is that mindset, that sense of, you know, uh, agility and being able to adapt to the scenario, it's never been more needed than in this environment. And so I think part of it has been, you know, we've probably reinvented our plans 10 times at this point, right? Because we keep looking, seeing what's happening, understanding what's going on with consumers and in our channels, whether it's on-premise or off-premise, and then saying, okay, well, what's the right thing to do for our brands right now? What is the best way to connect with our consumers? How does our brand purposes connect or authentically have a voice in this moment. And so I think that sense of agility and almost that sense of reinvention, you know, in a typical year, uh, certainly I don't think that annual plans have been a thing for a while now. You know, I think it's a lot more nimble than that. But I don't know that you've been replanning and planning and thinking in the 48-hour news cycle that we've been doing at the moment. And so I think the biggest challenge is how do you make sure your team stay resilient through this? How do you make sure that they, you know, it's a lot um, on the, the, the heart and the minds right now. And so making sure that you your teams are strong and feeling positive despite those challenges. So I think as a leader, the, the most I can do or the best I can do right now is to provide a clear vision to help prioritize what's the most important thing to focus on right now, and then to support the teams through it. Is there a personal or professional habit or practice that you're going to carry forward coming out of this someday? It's a good question. Um, I think the, the more general sense of connection, I think is one, you know, we've been having, I meet with my leadership team every morning, um, you know, just to check in and understand what's the latest and greatest, what's happening anywhere that folks need help, um, cascading of messages or, or news of what's happening. And then equally, you know, we, we used to have, you know, a monthly town hall as a marketing team, and now we have it every Monday. And so I think just that cadence of, kind of constant communication um, 
and just connection is one that I think, you know, people, I, despite kind of these very bizarre circumstances, I think that a lot of people um, enjoy the sense of community that it's built as a team. So I think that's definitely one from a, a marketing perspective or a business side perspective I'll keep. From a personal side, it's a, it's a good question. I think for me, you know, I'm a bit of a maker. And so during my spare time, because I'm not traveling as much as I used to, I found a lot of joy in making things. And so I hope I'll continue to do that even post, even when I get back on the road more aggressively. You're in such an interesting category, right? Beer, social stuff. And I know it's shifting dramatically during this pandemic. Is there any interesting consumer trend that may be unexpected? I know there's kind of a return to the classic brands. I've heard that. And certainly people are eating more at home and everything that goes with that. Anything that you would share with our listeners that is particularly interesting or unexpected? I, I do think that the return to big brands is, is, is exciting, particularly for us. Some beautiful big brands in our portfolio, whether it's Miller Lite, Coors Light, Molson Canadian up in Canada. And we have some of these big iconic brands. And I do think that in a moment like right now, that sense of trust and um, sort of being top of mind from an awareness perspective, I think certainly helps with some of those big brands. I mean, I think what's been really interesting is to see even on some of our other brands that typically have skewed more on premise. So if you think about a Blue Moon or a Peroni, um, seeing those brands kind of take a bigger place in people's homes has been really interesting because I think people are looking for a little more variety, you know, and certainly in this moment as consumption increases at home and, and as you said, like eating at home and there's not those going out occasions, I think it's been interesting for consumers to fall in love with some of those brands that maybe they're more used to drinking in a bar or at a restaurant, but that they're kind of um, reconnecting with at their home again. Now, Michelle, I'm going to look backwards on your career for a moment. And you are really, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, you're a classic seven-year itch study, <laughs> right? You're, you began your career out of Michigan Ross at SC Johnson for seven years. Then Unilever for seven years, then Kraft Heinz for seven years, and now Molson Coors since early 2019, as you said. What is it about seven years for you? That's a great question. Um, I don't know that it's been, I mean, it's certainly no, it has not been deliberate, right? Um, it's more coincidence, but I have always viewed my career in these kind of four chapters. And I'm obviously in the middle of chapter four, so I'll let you know the end once I get there. Um, but, you know, when I started um, back in, at Michigan, um, I moved from pre-med to business school and I, I, I fell in love. I wanted to go into advertising. I wanted to be a planner. Um, I had worked in at Cassette up in Toronto for a couple of summers and I worked for an amazing man named Brent Nelson, who's uh, the head of strategy at Leo Burnett now in Canada. And I remember being like, that's the job. That's the job I want to have. I love this. So how did you discover and it? It's how did I yeah. discover planning? Yeah, how did you discover that kind of job? And you were pre-med, kind of a traditional career. This is yeah. not one that pops to mind. So I have an amazing person in my life who's been an incredible inspiration. So my great aunt, I was born in Canada. I was born in Montreal. And then I'm, I'm French-Canadian. I moved to Toronto for my kind of teenager years. Um, my great aunt is this incredible woman. She started in the 50s at Young and Rubicam. Her name is Madeleine Saint-Jacques. And... Um, she started in the industry as a secretary um, at YNR, and she worked her way up to become the chairman of YNR in Quebec. And actually, in Quebec, it's Valet Saint Jacques, Young and Rubicam, um, from my great aunt. And I remember distinctly, she we were living in Atlanta at the time, um, and I remember distinctly having a conversation with her in the guest room, and she started telling me about her career. And I somehow walked out of the bedroom and I remember going down to my dad being like, I think I need to do that. And I just fell in love with this idea of uh, the combination of both. I'd always been, you know, good at math and things like that, but the combination of the, the, um, the gut and the creativity with the data and the um, analytics and the business sense. And I just got really excited to kind of try to follow in her footsteps a little bit. So I decided at that point, I wanted to try out the agency world um, as an intern. I mean, as an intern, I was like grabbing coffee, making Google copies. It was not a sexy kind of role. But when I saw the planning function, I loved the idea of strategy and insight and, and trying to identify um, brands' roles as being so fascinating to me. 
And at the time, you know, Cassette had amazing brands that they were working on, you know, they had great accounts at General Mills and McDonald's. And I just remember thinking, this, this is so cool and interesting. And so I, I thought, you know, planning, this is, this is it, you know, at age 20, I know what I'm going to do when I grow up. And I decided at the time, well, I better go get a little bit of client side experience, you know, so that, cause I mean, it's hard to be a planner when you don't know anything, you know? So I thought, okay, I'll go to the client side for a few years and then I'm going to make my way back to the agency side. And of course, 20 plus years later, I'm still on the client side, um, but I've had these chapters. So your question was around the seven year itch and, and certainly, um, Every chapter has been interesting. You know, I started SCJ, as you mentioned, and I really think of that chapter all about just like learning the ropes of business. You know, I did two sales rotations. I worked internationally down in Australia. Um, I worked in like white space innovation. So it was really just getting a really broad based experience. And then I remember at one point I went, you know, I really want to hone my craft in marketing. And I looked around and said, who's doing the very best marketing in the world? And at the time, it was kind of like the peak of Campaign for Real Beauty for Dove. Axe was doing a lot of like really amazing stuff around gaming. And I thought, I want to go to Unilever. So I started at Unilever um, out of the New York office, um, New Jersey office. And um, I was there for about seven years. And it took me, I think, 12 months to get on Dove, which was the goal. Uh, But I worked for incredible people. So when I was there, I worked for a gentleman named Steve Miles. I worked for Fernando Machado for quite a while. And then I worked for a woman named Sharon McLeod out of the Canadian office. And really that seven years was all about learning the craft. I had incredible mentors. I had people who I think are the very best in the industry when it comes to building brands. And I really learned so much during that time about trying to build my point of view on brands. What makes a great brand? What makes a great piece of creative? Things of that nature. And so those seven years were really about deepening my belief and love for brands. And then I decided that I wanted to kind of like grab the keys and start to drive, you know, and uh, Heinz came knocking with an opportunity to run the Heinz brand before the merger. And um, I joined Heinz, now Kraft Heinz at that point and had you know, a really rapid succession of responsibility and worked on beautiful brands like Heinz Ketchup, Kraft Mac and Cheese. I mean, brands that my kids were devastated when I left Kraft Heinz, um, but for these beautiful brands that were icons. And that, that was really about figuring out, you know, my way and what my belief system was brands and how I wanted to start to build brands as part of culture moving forward, which brought me to Molson Coors. And so Molson Coors has been, um, you know, it combines all the things I love the most, big, iconic brands um, with a company that's really, the CEO, Gavin, really wants us to change the way we approach marketing and really go for it. And that was just what the doctor ordered. So when you think about, that was a great walk through your career, by the way. Uh, and and it's and Unilever is a great company, you know, at P&G, you know, we were watching them all the time. And, and I have a lot of friends, by the way, who are from Unilever these days. And Fernando Machado is one of the great ones in our industry, you know, the Burger King CMO now. When you think about your career to date and these three big, big, now four big CBG companies, what's the one experience or accomplishment or failure that stands out in your mind as the most developmental? I think that the... It's a great question, you know, and I think the one that probably stands out the most was um, one that was both a success and a failure all mixed together. So I was working on the Heinz brand and we decided we were going to do a Super Bowl spot. And um, we were introducing new uh, products to the portfolio, mustard, barbecue. And it was how do you start to introduce people to the family of Heinz products moving forward? And um, we decided we're going to do a Super Bowl spot. And, you know, Super Bowl is one of those weird kind of moments because it's incredibly exposing and vulnerable because everyone sees and there's no hiding. Everyone's got a point of view on Super Bowl spots. So there's a lot of pressure associated with it. And I'd never done a Super Bowl spot before. And I remember we were working with David out of Miami at the time. And Anselmo was amazing. And And they brought this idea. And I remember they went through idea one, idea two. And then the third idea they started with, they said, this one's called Wiener Stampede. And I was like, do tell me more, right? This is too good to not know. And and the basic concept was a bunch of 
you know, wiener dogs dressed up like hot dogs running like majestically down this hill towards their most beloved condiments, right? Which sounds crazily simplistic, but um, was one that just was so simple and so visceral in terms of landing the love and the taste of our products. And so we, I kind of bought it right off the spot and we were like, yeah, this is the ad, et cetera. And we went and we shot the spot and, and, and certainly we can talk about that in a minute. And it, it went on to, you know, I think being exactly what one would hope, but there was a couple of things in that moment that were really, I think, interesting. One, which was we were shooting the spot down in South Africa, but the original spot had a little bit of a different vibe than the one you may have seen. It was more of a Braveheart thing. So imagine mm. like kind of this intense dog running down the hill uh, instead of quite so lovingly. And um, we got down there and our director at the time, you know, he had been free shooting these dogs to see what they would look like in slow motion, which is, you know, um, an amazing thing to see. When I saw them going down in regular motion, I was like, oh no, this is going to be a terrible spot. And then you see the slow-mo and it's beautiful and ears flopping. And he started to put it against different music on his, on his phone. And the first band was ABBA. And he put it to the winner takes it all. And the whole vibe of the spot completely changed. It was no longer this like story about, you know, kind of not sure what's happening and a little bit of a kind of twist at the end. It became a love story. And so um, we decided to shoot that love story. And I remember being so excited and we were like so in tune as an agency and a, and a, and a client at that time as partners. But then I remember getting on the plane on the way back and thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't shoot the spot that we've tested, we pre-tested. I mean, it was a different version, but it had been based on the gut and the partnership and the feeling. And, and certainly I think the spot was a million times better because of that. And so I think it was a great example of, kind of really trusting in the process, trusting in intuition and kind of getting to a better place versus being a, you know, servant to the testing or the process, et cetera. It was kind of a time where I felt like I really was able to take my wings and fly, if you will. And, and certainly um, that spot I'm super proud of still to this day. I love it. Um, and uh, it always brings a smile to my face. But I think the thing that was the failure, so that was kind of like the success, this moment of choice and, and, and following one's gut. The failure, I don't know if it's a failure, but it haunts me to this day, which is there was part of that idea that I did not buy and I didn't buy it fast enough. And um, it was the right idea. I wish I had bought it in retrospect. But the thought was at the time was at the end, there was this beautiful, you know, iconic shot of the characters holding these wiener dogs. And um, the agency had brought this idea of what if we have all the dogs in that final shot being dogs that you can adopt. Mm. And we create an act in the moment, which is you may not be in the Super Bowl spot, but your dog can be and try to drive this idea of adopting a wiener dog. And at the time there was so much complexity, et cetera. And I said, we have this beautiful spot, you know, let's not mess with it, et cetera. And then I decided to do it, but it was too late. And I really think if we had done that, it would have broken the internet um, just because of how much love people had for the spot in that moment and how much it cut through. And so my, my regret there is just of not buying the idea, you know, even though it would have been hard um, of not buying it. And honestly, that's what, when I think about now, when I get an idea or et cetera, I never want that feeling again. I never want to have the feeling that it didn't go for it completely, or I didn't buy part of the idea because of, you know, things that I'm going to call noise in the system. And that's what fuels me. So every time there's an idea that I'm like, oh man, how am I going to do this one, right? This seems really tough. I remember, I'm like, don't let it be another wiener dog. You know, you got to go for it every time. So it was both a wonderful learning positive moment. Again, the spot really great, but there's this moment of, um, I will never do that again. I will always trust my gut and push really hard. Oh, it's a great lesson. And that was your first spot for the Super Bowl. And I suspect it, it, it did really well creatively. I suspect it helped your business too. Yeah. So I remember, um, you know, I think from like, you know, the USA Today it was the number two voted most loved ad from a consumer perspective, but from an effectiveness, it was the number one from all the um, results because it was such a clear call to action to go and buy these products. And quite frankly, it drove the awareness of this family of products that people weren't thinking of. So it was both what I loved about it. It was creatively powerful. It drove a lot of brand love. Equally, it got people to get out there and buy some ketchup, which was ultimately the objective. Yeah. 
Now, before diving into your role at Molson Coors, which I'm eager to do, you know, you've worked now for big CPG companies. I want to ask you a, another one or two big, big picture questions before going more, sure. uh, more narrowly. The first one is, why is top line growth so hard? That's one red thread you could draw through every CPG, CPG company. Why? You've been now at four of them. Yeah, to me, I think a, a big part of it is making sure um, there's a continued focus on bringing more people into your brand. Very simply, you know, are you doing a good job recruiting new people into your brands? Are you building relevancy with a new generation of consumers? Are you adapting what you stand for and or your product to appeal to what new consumers are looking for? So I think in some ways it's that some of these, you know, big iconic brands, they're amazing. They have stories upon stories and their product truths are often really compelling right now or need to be, you know, adapted a little bit, evolved certainly um, a bit, but can be equally as powerful in today's moment. I think some of it is just making sure that you're, you're pushing for um, what makes that relevant to today's consumer and understanding that dynamic. I'll give an example in Coors, if I can, um, which I think is an interesting example, you know, or Kraft Mac and Cheese we can talk about as well. But if you think about Coors, for example, you know, we've been talking about cold. You know, we are mountain cold refreshment for a long time. You remember the cold sure train, we're cold yeah. filtered, cold laggard, you know, but consumers may know that we're cold, but we haven't necessarily connected with why does cold matter? What does it do for you as a consumer? Why does, it, why does it exist? And so when we started kind of, that was the number one priority when I took this job was, you know, um, revitalizing the Coors Light brand. And a big part of it was like, you know what cold does? It gives you like a moment of refresh. It, in a world that is always on, it's the perfect antidote, right? It gives you that second. And if you look at young consumers, young legal age drinkers, of course, when you look at them, they're already actively identifying ways to have a moment of pause. When they go down a YouTube rabbit hole, they're not doing that just to like waste time. They're doing it to turn their brain off for a second, to turn the world off for a second. And I think that our product, that mountain cold refreshment, is something that can help in those moments. And so we re-looked at what the purpose is and we came up with this space, which is around, you know, we exist to refresh your spirit. And we created this whole campaign around made to chill. And it was very different than big beer advertising. You know, this is not showing a rooftop deck, a big crowded bar scene, you know, a bunch of guys sitting there, you know, watching football. What it did is it started to say, what are all those moments when you really need a moment of refresh. You know, we became the official beer of drinking in the shower. We became the official beer of the end of the day when a woman takes off her bra, which is an incredible moment of release. We became going golfing just to drink beer and not caring about your score. And what we saw is that young people, again, those legal drinking aged folks were like, this connects to me. It doesn't feel like big beer. It feels like a brand that actually understands what I'm going through right now. And I think that a lot of these big brands going to your question, it's about finding those ways to intersect what your product and brand truth is with something that's of meaning and of value in today's consumers' lives. And I think if you can find that sweet spot, you know, Kraft Mac and Cheese is not a, you know, 99 cents uh, mac and cheese in a box. What it is, is something that makes your kids smile. It gives you a moment of relief as a mother or father, because you know, your kids are going to eat it in this crazy situation, you know, environment that we live in. And I think by identifying those moments, those truths, it can allow you to bring into those next generations. And for our listeners, I'm on a zoom call with Michelle and she is wearing a really lovely made to chill t-shirt. <laughs> You know what, Jim, you're going to freak out because I'm also wearing made to chill sweatpants. We launched a line of soft clothes because that's what one does during a pandemic. And um, they are, so I'm like fully Coors Light branded. I often am. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. 
To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now about your role at Molson Coors, right? You've been in here about a year and a half. You're the first woman to be CMO of Miller Coors or Molson Coors. Yes. First woman to be CMO of a beer company in quite some time. And I want to ask you, it's your first CMO job too. Now, and you work for three amazing companies. Did you feel prepared coming in? It's not easy coming in from the outside to a new company at a senior level. Did you feel prepared? And what did you do to start up? And I have to hear about this famous day one. I promise you we'll get to day one. It's going to be a chapter in my book that maybe nobody will read one day, but there will be a chapter titled day one. But I think to your first question about, did you feel prepared? I would say absolutely. You know, I spent a lot of time, um, there's a couple of things that I would, would think about there. One, which is, you know, I spent a lot of time with Gavin, again, our CEO during the interview process, talking about culture, you know, and talking about who I am and what the company was like. And making sure that that was a good fit. You know, I've learned a while ago that I am, you know, just like everyone, I'm my unique self. You know, I wear sneakers and t-shirts. I sometimes swear like a sailor. You know, I have a nose ring. I, I am who I am, you know, and it's really important for me to be able to bring my whole self to work every single day. So it was really important to me to work at a company where I felt like I could be my authentic self. And so that was a critical piece that, um, for me felt like a really good connect, which may sound unexpected given kind of the beer business, et cetera. But I can tell you, having lived it for the past year and a half, I've never been as accepted or felt as loved as I have over the past year and a half at this company. So I think there's very much, you know, um, a, a desire and acceptance for who you are from a individual perspective. But I think if you combine like the leadership that I've learned, the great people I've learned from in my career at all three companies, and equally the what in terms of what matters, how to build brands, all that kind of stuff. To me, those three things come together. And they've been why I felt really confident walking in day one. Don't get me wrong. I've made a million mistakes. And I certainly have a lot to learn, particularly in my first CMO role. But I've got a clear point of view of what I believe in from a marketing perspective. I've got a clear point of view of who I am and the kind of leader I am. And I think that it's been an amazing experience working with such a talented group of individuals on really taking these great brands and starting to infuse them with a, a different point of view and a different personality. And, and that's been, you know, it's been a, um, I remember when I started, uh, I had hopes for what this role would be. Um, and even through everything over the past year and a half and all the crazy that's been thrown my way, it certainly has exceeded my expectations on what kind of an experience and what kind of company I've joined. So I want to hear about day one. So Jim, you ready for this one? Day one. Turn up the volume. Turn up the volume. So my first day, so first CMO job, first female CMO, joining a new company, joining a new industry, uh, had my 30, 60 day plans ready to go. Um, and I started the day after the Super Bowl. And if you remember a year and a half ago is when um, there was kind of an unprecedented moment that had happened on Super Bowl where Bud Light took out three spots uh, directly as the number one brand in the category, directly coming after Coors Light and Miller Light. So my first day was the day after that. And so um, I remember over the weekend, we had kind of, you know, we saw a piece of POS and I remember thinking, you know, we had some conversations oh man, something's coming. I did not think it was going to be <laughs> the bomb that came that Sunday night, but we knew something was happening. So, you know, even on that weekend before I even started, I was having conversations with my team being like, let's prepare ourselves, you know, for all the different scenarios that might play out tonight. And certainly walking in your first day as a new person with everyone looking at you and saying, okay, well, what do we do now? Right. Um, to me was, the most incredible moment of probably my career because uh, we didn't have time to go through onboarding of what these brands stand for to meet everybody. It was about action and moving with speed. And actually a lot of the things that I believe deeply in as a human being happened in my first day. I remember walking in to a meeting that afternoon with the Miller Lite team and with DDB. Your agency, right? 
Yeah, with our agency. And I remember saying, we'll do all the pleasantries later. You know, we'll get to know each other later. What do you got? And they were like, okay. We have this idea of pulling a, a one-pager New York Times ad that talks about our point of view on our ingredients, because obviously we're very proud of the beer that we brew. And I was like, looked at it. And I said, yep, looks good. Let's go. So within six hours, I had approved my first piece of creative with a with not having even gone through onboarding at this company. And it was published, you know, the next morning, first thing. And I remember coming home that night and being like, you know, my, my blood was pumping. Uh, you know, we had a clear action plan of what we were going to do on our brands. And I just remember my head hitting the pillow and me turning to my husband and saying, oh my gosh, like, I don't know, you know, this is either going to be the best moment of my career, or I might have the shortest tenure you've ever seen from a CMO perspective, because, you know, those are big calls to make within 24 hours of being at a company. Um, but I mention it because one of the things that I think was honestly a gift of that moment in your first CMO role in a new industry is the entire system, and obviously we have the three-tier distribution system, et cetera, was galvanized behind a common goal. And there was this opportunity to move with speed, to be bold. And I think that that mindset, you know, we launched our marketing vision a couple of months after that. All that, that mindset, that approach that had come out of the first 24 hours became the underpinning of how we were going to build brands moving forward. And I think I look at that moment and I mean, it was an incredibly intense time and the teams were moving with speed and being decisive and being bold. And our agency partners were with us 24 hours a day. And um, I look at that and I think that it set the tone for what we were going to be as a marketing organization. And it really showed us what we were made of. And so um, I love that. And it becomes the, the benchmark that we try to, you know, leap over every day as we think about doing marketing out in the world. And it was a strong statement of you as a leader. You could have said, well, I'm not confident about this. I don't know the brand yet. I want to think about this. I want to socialize this with a few more people. But you didn't. And you talked a few minutes ago about not going all the way in the idea on the, you know, on the Heinz wiener stampede. What gave you the confidence to say yes to this and do it in 24 hours? Yeah, I look at it. I have a tattoo on my arm that says Courage My Word, which is a uh, tragically hip lyric as a true Canadian. Um, and uh, again, it goes back to, I always think, you know, if we keep doing the same things over and over again, we're going to get the same results. So the only option one has is to go for it and to be bold. And I like to think about what's the best thing that could happen and what's the worst thing that could happen. And I think that, you know, in that case, indecision is your enemy. You know, if you sit there and you overthink things and you, you know, you say, okay, well, let me, let me spend the next two months figuring out a plan. You're never going to do anything. And I think that if you've got a great team, I mean, I had a, a phenomenal team on Miller Lite, a great agency and partner for DDB that I felt like their knowledge of the brand was, was what was needed at that moment. And my job as a leader was to encourage and push the boldness that we needed at that moment. And honestly, like I, you know, I, I talked about that one example on, on Wiener Stampede, but I don't know if I've had a moment like that since, you know, where we haven't gone for it or we haven't done it. And, and some of them have been risky or challenging or tricky and difficult to, um, difficult to, you know, sell through or manage through. And I think that the idea of, you know, we've only got one shot at this. We've only got one shot and we, we need to go for it. To me, I don't want to hit a bunch of singles. I want to go for the home run every time. And I'm not thinking that we'll get it, but man, if I go for the home run, maybe I'll get a double, maybe I'll get a triple. And that's going to be a heck of a lot better than that single. Yeah. So tell me about your work. I'm, I'm getting to know you more as a leader and what you value and, and the kind of culture you seek to create. What's, what's your work? What, how do you see your job? What's your role? What are you focused on? What are you measured on? What are the insights others yeah. could learn from you and how you approach your job? So, so when we created our marketing vision again last year, so we said, okay, well, what matters? And we said, okay, we need to build brands that more people want to hang out with. When I think about beer, one of the things that's new to me and I love about it is I think brands matter more than ever in this category. 
I've worked for categories where my product is in the shower, it's under the sink, it's in the refrigerator, and brands matter there for sure, as do products. But this is something you're holding in your hand at a bar. It is something you're bringing with you to a party. What that can or bottle stands for in your hand is actually so much a reflection of you. And so for me, that badge worthiness, that's not something I've had as much in my previous categories that I've worked in. And I actually think it's the, the most exciting part of what I get to do every day is to find this, this world where how do we build that badge value that what we stand for matters with consumers, the pride in the beer, but then also make sure we're giving people a reason to reach for us right? It can't just be all badge, no substance. We need the two things to be married. You know, I completely am anti this concept of emotional versus functional advertising. No, everything needs to do both. We need to make sure that we're connecting in a way that breaks through and gives people a feeling, but we also need to make sure that we um, have a real reason for people to want to reach for our products. And so a lot of the work we've been doing right now has been trying to find those intersections in our category you know, Coors Light, the emotional side of those moments, those feelings of release, that visceralness of when you need a break combined with mountain cold refreshment. I mean, that is the killer combination. Um, when I think about Miller Light, we kind of have really great functional credentials behind the product, but we weren't necessarily having a clear point of view about why, how we should, how people should be consuming us or thinking about us. And we relaunched end of last year, this whole space around kind of relaunching its Miller time as the original social media and challenging people to get back in the bars and connecting with their friends over a beer. And I think that, again, the more we can find those moments that bring the two together, the badge valueness plus the reason to reach for you or buy you or drink you or eat you, whatever have you, I think that's when you find those magic moments for a brand. So my job, my job is to help teams figure that out and to enable them to know that they can go bold, they can know big, um, and that um, they'll be rewarded whether it works or doesn't work. Is there a particular capability you're really trying to build, you know, throughout the company right now? I think there's two things. I think the, the biggest thing that we've really been focusing on is driving creative that we believe breaks through the clutter. Again, I mentioned it earlier, a lot of beer advertising looks the same, feels the same. You know, I remember looking my first week, I, I looked at a chart of all of the beer ads that have been tested in the category and, you know, breakthrough attribution from a brand perspective was incredibly high. And so to me, the first start is let's make sure we really know what our brands stand for. And let's be like psychos. I'm really making sure we're finding ways for that to um, get out in the world for people to see, to engage with, to talk about, you know, I, I'm a big believer in talkability and earned. Um, so trying to find those moments that we can do that with our brands. Um, so a big piece has been around, I think, unlocking creativity, taking the shackles off, getting a little less um, data, a little bit more gut, um, you know, and, and certainly like we've been doing things like neurotesting and different things that are ways for us to better hone that skill. But I think that, you know, um, sometimes the tendency can be when things are challenging from a category to go more conservative, to rely on an MMA that told you what the payback was going to be 18 months ago because it's safe. You feel like you can, you're not going to be wrong by doing that. Um, I think a big push for us right now is to go after what we believe to be right and trying to unlock that creativity, building those great partnerships with our agency. So to me, that's kind of the most important thing we do. We've got all the same things that I'm sure a lot of other companies really focused on uh, precision-based digital marketing, you know, building kind of multi-touch attribution and making sure we're understanding what's working, optimizing in a, in a faster um, environment. But those to me are signals. Those are things that help us continue to get better. They can refine the tool to make smarter and smarter choices. If you don't have the starting point, which is incredible creative and campaigns that can break through the clutter, you can optimize all you want, but you're not going to drive the impact that you need as a brand. So for me, creativity is a starting point. Data and analytics is the thing to help us get smarter and better as we do it. Last question before we go into the lightning round. You know, what lessons do you have for other brands to take on a giant leader? You know, you're, you're taking on, obviously, one of your competitors is AB InBev, and they're, I think, about 5x your size. So it's a classic challenger story. 
So you've worked across lots of categories, lots of sizes of brands. What lessons would you have for those listening who are working on challenger brands and trying to make inroads against a really good marketing leader? I think what's most important is that you don't play someone else's game, you play your game. You know, you need to make sure you understand why your brand matters, why somebody should be reaching for you, why you exist, what job are you fulfilling for consumers? And you need to make sure that you stand out in the marketplace because if you just look like the market leader, then they're always going to drive the misattribution of the brand. You have to carve out a really unique space that is ownable and relevant and interesting to consumers so that you can really stand out from them. You know, I think made to chill is the opposite of what you would see a Bud Light do. You know, um, I think what we're doing with Miller Lite right now in terms of really the original social media and playing in this new world about come as you are connection really celebrating who you are and your authentic self feels very different to what Bud Light's doing. And I think that that separation and being um, true to what your brand stands for and then being consistent on it is critical. Um, And that's what allows you to kind of gain share, gain momentum is by having a clear point of view that you know matters that can move the needle and then being ruthlessly focused on executing against that at every single touch point. Super advice, Michelle. And now we're going to transition into the last part of this podcast, which is the lightning round, where I get your your uh, point of view on lots of different things. So I love this part of it. Okay. And you're going to be fun. So the first question is, what is your favorite brand from each of the four companies you have worked at? Your personal favorite brand. Okay. So from a SCJ, it would be Ziploc for sure. Um, from a Unilever perspective, if you saw my shower, it is filled head to toe with Dove and Dan Plus Care. I will use that for life, not only because it's a great product, but I love that brand. Um, from a Kraft Heinz perspective, I, I guess I'm like pretty predictable. It's all the brands that have made the biggest impact on me. It would be Heinz Ketchup, there's no doubt. Although my five-year-old somehow doesn't like ketchup, which is makes me question, you know, whether he's really mine every single he'll see day. The light, he'll he, see the light someday. I, I hope so. I hope so. His big brother is a heavy user. So that, that helps. And then um, from a Molson Coors, I'm going to choose to plead the fifth because no matter what yeah, I say yeah. right now. Don't go there. I, I agree. I, I, let, I let you do yeah. that. I won't push you on that. What's the best beer city in the world? And I have to tell you, we lived in Prague for a couple of years and I have to rate that pretty high up there. And we also live in San Diego, which is a really good beer town. It is a really good uh, beer town. As you know, St. Archer Brewery, which is one of our craft breweries, which I I love the guys down there. It's a beautiful brand. It's a San Diego-born brand. So uh, it is a fantastic beer beer city. Look, I guess I'll go go old school. I'm going to call it Milwaukee and the home of where Miller was born. That's a good answer. For us, it's a, I mean, you know, we have Golden, Colorado, obviously, which is incredible. It's where Banquet is still brewed to this day. But, you know, I love going to either Milwaukee, going to Golden, and really seeing um, where it all started. You know, we have these brands that have been around for a really long time. And the fact that, you know, some of our brands you could take Banquet is still only brewed with, with water up in Colorado. Um, it's great to see the history, the before, the during, and, and hopefully what's going to be the future. What are you reading these days for relaxation or inspiration or whatever? So if I came up with a book right now, my team would call me on it really quickly because I'm not a big reader. Um, I always talk about my what I read is usually 140 characters. Um, and I spend a lot of time reading stuff about what's happening online and in social. I don't spend a ton of time reading um, books, to be honest, because when I think about my life, I work really hard. When I'm not working, I'm with my kids who are um, incredibly, you know, amazing and interesting little human beings. And then when I'm not doing those two things, I'm probably making something. So those are my, tend to be my priorities versus reading books. So how do you stay fresh and creative and energetic? Is it exercise outdoors? You know, what, what are your rituals, practices that keep you on your game? Yeah, well, I mean, I think from a work perspective, I'm a bit of an ad nerd, right? Like I, I read everything. I'm a voracious student of the craft and I 
love to see everything. I love to look at what everyone's doing. I, I have a lot of respect for, there's so many wonderful marketers out there and I like to see what they're doing and think differently and challenge myself about how we can do more, how we can do better as brands. Um, from a personal perspective, you know, I'm in Michigan right now. I, I love being outside. I love hiking. I love swimming in the lake. Uh, I certainly have taken running up again after a slight hiatus of five years, but I've taken that up in the past year again. I'm not going for any Ironmans or marathons, to be clear, but a good 5K is certainly something that helps clear my head. Um, so I think it's about staying active uh, for sure and then staying active in my mind as it comes to the craft continuing to hone it. Yeah. Let me put you on the spot a bit on that. I mean, who do you admire these days? What brands, what work? I know it's always a hard question because I, I get asked that a lot as well. And it's, but I'll put you on the spot a bit. What do you, who do you like these days in terms of what they're doing? I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a ton of brands, as you know. I mean, the, the campaign that, you know, I'm most jealous of right now, I don't know if you saw the uh, Libras, Libras um, womb story that came out, I think, a week and a half ago. Uh, they did obviously Blood Normal and all these campaigns mm-hmm. over the past year that I think have been so iconic and disruptive in that category. And, and Womb Story to me is just like a perfect example of storytelling, you know, in a way that's completely unexpected. And I think the film is like two minutes long and you can't stop watching it. So I think that that's a really interesting example. Um, you know, there's no doubt Nike continues to find their moments in culture, which, you know, they are so clear of who they are and what they are. And they um, are consistently nailing it every single time. Um, you know, I think obviously my friend down at Burger King, um, he's never short of an idea, as you well know. So, um, you know, I think he's somebody who's transformed, as you mentioned it earlier, the industry and creativity. And so um, I love to watch what he's up to um, down there. Um, you know, there's a ton of brands. I mean, I think Chobani right now, you know, I think what Peter McGinnis does in terms of having a clear purpose for that brand through innovation and through comms is really strong. I mean, there's a ton. We are recording this on a Friday. What beer, What beer, if any, are you cracking open tonight? I mean, come on. I am definitely going to do uh, so too. So I'm a Coors Light end of the week kind of girl. Um, I love Miller Light too, but I will probably have a Coors Light. And then I don't know if you've tried, and if not, I can send it through to you, but we have a new hard seltzer out in the market. It's called Busy, and it is phenomenal. So the black cherry lime Busy has been, uh, it has been going quickly in my household at the moment. Um, it's a fantastic one. I will definitely try it. Thanks for the tip. Problem. Michelle, thank you. You've been very generous. It's been a lesson in brand building and marketing and an inspiration. And thanks thanks for your generosity, your kindness. Great to see everyone is healthy and all the best as you continue the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you, Jim. And thanks for that course two years ago. (laughs) That was my conversation with Michelle. What I loved about this one was her day one on the job at the Molson Coors Company. You'll never hear about a more action-packed day one than the day one she had. And she showed what she was made of in that first 24 hours on the job. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.